Well, I really am excited about Easter, too. I know Pastor Trevor was just talking about it, but man, I hope that you're making plans to be with us on Good Friday and on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday. Uh, I'm excited about that weekend. It's going to be a really, really great, great weekend for us in the history of our church. So we're, uh, we're hoping you're making plans for that. Make sure you pick up tickets. You know, today we are starting or continuing, finishing, whatever you want to call it, uh, a two-week deal talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, here's how this normally works. When we have a sermon series, we have something that we're talking about, we have a theme we have a subject matter of some kind. We normally talk about it in sequential weeks. So if like normally we would talk about the Holy Spirit this week, we would talk about the Holy Spirit next week. Or if we were talking about, you know, um, friendship, we would talk about it this week and then next week and the week after. But what happened is a few months ago, I really felt like the Lord was kind of leading me and directing me to speak on the subject of the Holy Spirit. And so I was looking with the way our calendar works, we kind of lay out what we're going to preach and in advance, and so we know kind of the subject matters and those, those series and things. And so we had an open week about three weeks ago, and so I felt like, okay, that's the day that we're going to speak on the Holy Spirit. It's open. I can choose to speak on anything I want to. It's not a part of a series. So I felt like, okay, that's the deal. So as I started studying for that Sunday, I really felt like, man, there is way more to talk about on that day than I feel like I could talk about in one day. Now, I could have preached it in one sermon, but I don't think you would have hung with me as long as it would have taken to do that. And so then I was like, all right, well, we'll do this in two parts. But the way the calendar worked out, we also had missions festival in the middle there. So we talked three weeks ago about the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And then we did missions festival for the last two weeks, which was not separate from the Holy Spirit. Because obviously you've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit to be Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, to be the witnesses for God. And then this week we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit Again, and so I'm excited about that. You know, I, I talked to earlier, my family has four kids. My wife and I, we have three sons. Cooper's 11, Branson is nine. Tucker is uh, six, he'll be seven in May. And then little Miss Kinley is four, she'll be five in July. And mama's not with us today, and so daddy dressed Kinley. So she's the cute little girl running around in a North Carolina Tar Heels uh, shirt today because they won the ACC championship last night. <clears throat> so for the first time since um, she was born. So um, she's running around in that. But uh, don't tell mom. So I've got these three boys, and they all play baseball. I love baseball. I've loved baseball all of my life. I didn't force them to play, but, man, they love it. They're really good at it. So yesterday, we were at the baseball field literally all day long. All right? So at 845, we had our first team pictures. At 9 o'clock, we had our second team pictures. We started the game at 10 o'clock for my middle son, Branson. And at 1015, my youngest son, Tucker, started uh, his game. And then when those two games were over, Branson had the second game of a doubleheader at 12 o'clock. At the same time, my wife, Corey, had driven my oldest son, Cooper, down to Hampton, Georgia to play with his team in a 1230 game in Hampton. If you've never been to Hampton, just thank your lucky stars. So at 1230, he played there. And then he had a break after the first game and he played again at 6.30. So when our 12 o'clock game was over, I loaded up me and my three, and we drove to Hampton to meet Corey and her three. We had lunch, and then we went back for the 6.30 game last night. We got done about 9 o'clock. We drove home. And, and, man, it was a great day, but it was a fun day. It was baseball day. I mean, it's, it's what we love to do. Well, something happened in that day that helped me to remember some things that normally happen. I'm a coach. And so standing in the third base batters, uh, the third base coach's box there, uh, I'm talking to my batter, I'm talking to my hitter, my kid, and I'm giving him instruction. He's nine or ten years old maybe. Maybe it's in the seven and eight game. And I'm giving him instruction about what I want him to do as a hitter. So I might say things like, hey, keep your weight back. 
And I might say things like, hey, load. They don't always know what I mean when I say that. But, you know, they look at me and nod. Yeah, coach, I'm going to load. I don't know what that means, but I'm gonna, I think I might have just done it. I'm not sure. But I'm going to load. And so, you know, they'll do things like that. I'll say, hey, you know, you know sw- keep your eye on the ball as you swing. So I give this kind of instruction. Maybe my kids are pitching. And I'll give them instruction. I'll say, hey, you know, finish the pitch. Finish with your back flat. You know, I'll say, hey, keep your eye on the target, whatever instruction. And this amazing thing happens while I'm doing that as a coach. Their idiot father is sitting in the bleachers yelling the exact opposite thing that I am yelling to instruct their... I'm the coach. I'm not paid any money to do it, but I'm an expert. And I am telling them what they need to do to succeed in baseball. And so I'm yelling to the batter, hey, keep your weight back. And their dad is yelling from the stands, hey, move towards the baseball. And then I'm yelling to the pitcher, hey, you need to finish with your back flat. You need to get low. And their dad's like, hey, stand up straighter. I'm like, no, no, don't do that. Do what I said. Don't listen to your father. And so I was listening yesterday to all of these contradictory instructions on the baseball field. And I was thinking, man, I bet these kids are confused out of their minds. Right? And it caused me to remember some Pentecostal altar experiences that I had when I was growing up. Now, if you're laughing, you're telling on yourself. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not making fun of it. I'm trying to help us understand some confusing types of things. So here's what would happen to me when I was a preteen. I'd be in those altar moments. And when I say altar, I mean I would come down front for prayer. And I would be seeking whatever it was that I felt like God was asking me to do in that moment. Or whatever the, the preacher or pastor had asked us to come and pray for. And so in you know, some of those altar prayer experiences, I was coming in and I was seeking more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in my life. I was seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the the gifts in my life. And so what would happen, it's almost cliche, you're going to think I'm making this up. People would be giving me instructions very similar to a coach and a dad yelling opposite things when I was praying. So I would be praying and one person would just be kind of whispering in my ear like, you know, just rest in the goodness of God. Just stand here and just soak up the presence and the goodness of God. And the other person would be like, just chase God with all you got. Just run right after him right now and just, just go after God with everything you are. And, you know, one person would be saying, hey, you know, just hold on right now. Just hold on. And the other people would say, just let go. Just let go. <laughs> and I kind of felt like I had the look on my face like the kid who's not sure if he's supposed to stand up when he pitches or get his back flat. Like, I wasn't sure. Now, here's what I'm saying. I think sometimes when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we have the same ability maybe to to approach it from an uncertainty about what we're supposed to do to get what God wants for us. Like we're in an altar, we're praying, we're hearing somebody preaching, and we're trying to figure out like, do I hold on or do I let go? Do I chase God or do I rest in God? Do I... Like, do I pray for it or does he give it to me? Or like, do I seek it or find it? Or like, what do I do in this? And so two or three weeks ago, when we started talking about the Holy Spirit, we started by talking about the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We were saying that God wants to do a unique work in us through the power of the Holy Spirit that is reflected in that fruit being displayed in our lives. And then what I want to talk about today is what that looks like when the Holy Spirit begins to work through our lives. And so instead of me giving you all my opinions, and instead of me being like some of those people that were helping in the... uh, You know, in the altar experiences of my childhood, I I want us to go straight to God's word. I want us to try to figure out what is it that God would say to us out of his word through the writers of the gospels, the writers of the New Testament. What would God be speaking to us about the power of the Holy Spirit through our lives? Now, it's interesting here that when we go to God's word, we have to understand what is being written, who it's being written to, and why they're writing it. 
Because if you're just reading it, you're, you might think, okay, well, I know what's being said here. But if you don't at least engage the context of the written material, then you're missing a huge portion of what God might be speaking to you, to me. And so I want us to flip to, to the book of 1 Corinthians. If you've got a Bible, if you don't, you've got an app or a smartphone, you can go there in, in that app and go to 1 Corinthians. If not, most of the scriptures we're going to talk about today will be up on the screen. You can follow along there. But in 1 Corinthians, what we are reading is we're reading a letter from the Apostle Paul to, uh, to this church in the city of Corinth. Now, this city would be similar to Canton where, you know, there's a group of people that are living, they're kind of doing their own lives, and Paul had come in and he had planted a church. He did that all over uh, the known world kind of at that point. He did that all over kind of uh, Asia and and the the parts of the world that we read about. You can look at the maps maybe in the back of your Bible if you've got those. You see his missionary journeys. You see the cities that he went to, the places that he planted churches, the places that he, you know, did ministry. And what you see is in in that journey, he would go and he would plant these churches, he would release leadership to that local community, that local body, and then he would leave and he'd go do that again somewhere else. You can read about this in the book of Acts. And then he would be arrested or put into house arrest or whatever it was. And so then in those seasons, sometimes he would write back to the churches that he had planted and give them instruction. Now, if you just read it like, okay, he's just writing them letters, then that's kind of missing a portion of the context. Imagine if Paul had planted our church. Paul planted Canton Church. And then he left a couple years ago. And now we've been trying to figure out how to do church together for the last couple years. We've tried to figure out what we're supposed to do, how are we supposed to interact with one another, that kind of thing. And Paul's left. And then we decide, you know what? We're confused about what's happening. There's some chaotic things happening in our environments. There's some things that don't make sense. They seem to contradict one another. Let's write Paul and figure out what he would say to us about what we should be doing and to give some instruction and some answers. And so we write a letter to Paul. Wherever he's at, it gets delivered to him, and then he responds back to us in writing us a letter, and that was later put into the Bible. It's called First and Second Canton. No, you got to wake up. Come on, you got to help me here. So he writes this letter back to this church at Corinth, and he is addressing the issues that they wrote to him about. We know this, and this is not going to be on the screen, but we know this because in First Corinthians seven verse one, he says, "Now concerning the matters about which you wrote." In in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1, he says, Now concerning food offered to idols, this phrase in the original language is the same kind of phrase. It's the same uh, use of words there that we see in chapter 7 where he's saying, Now concerning what you talked about, in response to what you're wondering, here's some information for you. We also see this phrase in chapter 7, verse 25, and in chapter 16, verse 1, and it's most likely the same phrase that's used in chapter 15, verse 1. And so several times, and the way that the translators and then those that put it back into English and would put it in chapter and verse, the, way, the reason that a lot of that happens in verse 1 is because he begins addressing a new subject that they had written to him about. So in chapter 7, verse 1, in chapter 8, verse 1, we see later in chapter uh, 15, verse 1, chapter 16, verse 1, because those translators realize he's changing subjects here. He's responding to another bullet point in the letter that they had written to him. And so he's not just writing about these arbitrary, random things. He is responding to some issues that existed within the church in Corinth. And so when he's writing to them, he wants to make sure that they bring clarity around the issues that they felt like existed in their local church. And so as we read it today, I want you to think about our church. I want you to think about this church. But I want you to think about you personally, what he might be saying to us. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read 1 and 2, and then we'll jump to verse 4 says this, now about spiritual gifts, there's that phrase again, kind of about a different subject, here's what I want you to know, I do not want you to be ignorant 
You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Just pause right here for a second. This is one of the things I love about Paul. I love his sarcastic, underhanded compliments. Because what he says to them is he says, listen, before you were so enlightened, before you followed Jesus, before like you kind of entered into the way, like you were actually offering sacrifice and following dumb, mute idols that could not in any way communicate with you. But you felt like that's what you should do, and so you followed after them, and you were influenced by them, and, you know, good for you guys, but now you're smarter. It's like those people, you ever had those compliments that kind of, kind of make you feel better? Like I have people sometimes in the lobby on Sunday that walk up to me, and they're like, man, your preaching sure has gotten better. <laughs> like, I, thank you? I think I, I, I think I know what you just said about what used to happen with my preaching, but I mean, so that's kind of what Paul's saying here. He's like, listen, back then... You were being led astray by these dumb, mute idols that could in no way communicate with you, but somehow you decided you were going to offer your sacrifice to them. Now you have a God who is speaking to you. You have a God who is communicating with you. So I want to make sure that that God that has gifts and has power and, and has a, something he wants to do through your lives, I want to make sure that you're doing this correctly and that you understand what he's trying to communicate to you. Let's skip to verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, to each one of the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That's important. We're going to come back to that. I'm going to read it one more time. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. That is also important. We're going to come back to that. So what you have to understand right here is this is not an exhaustive list. What I mean by that is this is not all of the spiritual gifts that exist. We understand that like there's nowhere in Scripture that it says like here are the 37 spiritual gifts. Here are the 18 gifts of the Spirit. Like that's not the case. I've used this example before, but like that would be like me saying, hey, um, Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, Florida, those are states. Right? That's not all the states. It's just some of the states. And we understand that they are states because we recognize what they are. We recognize the characteristics and nature of the states, but we know that there are other states that are out there. And we're going to go to some other places in Scripture later that reference other gifts. But we start here because Paul is writing to this church about the things that were confusing to them, the things that were happening in their church that they needed to understand. And so he says, hey, it's one and the same spirit that's giving all these gifts. He gives it by the grace that he has towards all of us for the purpose of the common good. And as he does that for the common good, here are some of the gifts that you need to know about. Words of wisdom. Now, the word of wisdom there, or just maybe the gift of wisdom, depending on your translation, is to apply knowledge to make spiritual truths relevant and practical in proper decision-making in daily life situations. You ever met somebody that just has wisdom? They just know what to do all the time. They just always seem to be doing the wise thing. Like, I love people like that, but I kind of hate people like that too, right? But these people that know how to apply all the knowledge that they have. And so what we have here is we have this thing that goes hand in hand. We have wisdom, but what is knowledge? Knowledge, as it's related here, is the acquisition of truth from God's word and moral law. Now, I believe that all truth comes ultimately from God. I, I believe that. You may not. But I believe that all truth eventually leads its way. Like if you just trace it all the way back, I believe that all truth, all absolute truth, things that are true, I believe they all make their way back to God. 
And so if we, if we acquire truth, if we acquire knowledge, that's a great thing. But you ever met anybody that's really smart, but they have no common sense? Like they, they have a lot of knowledge, but they don't know what to do with that knowledge. So you have these various gifts here. You have someone who has knowledge, who has acquired truth, who has looked to God to understand what it is that God is saying to them in their personal life about the culture, about the world. What is God saying? What is the truth about the law and the gospel? What is the truth? And then how do I apply truth? How do I take the knowledge that I have acquired and how do I implement that in my life? That is wisdom. You have the gift of knowledge and you have the gift of wisdom. And Paul is saying these are two different things that actually come from God and are the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Another one that he talks about is faith. Faith is to be firmly persuaded of God's power and promises, to accomplish his will and his purpose, and to display such a confidence in him and his word that circumstances and obstacles do not shake that conviction. That's a really long definition, but you want to know what it means? It means that I believe something so holy. I'm so committed to what I believe. I have faith in the confidence that I have in God and his power and his might and his ability to do something that even if the external circumstances in my life make it difficult for me to believe that it can still come true, I hold on to it because I have faith that God can accomplish it. It's saying like if you've ever been in a situation where you're praying something, you have no idea how in the world it's going to come to pass. Faith is that thing where you're holding on to it. You're believing that God can do it, that God still wants to do it. Later in the New Testament, we read that faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the things that are unseen, those things that like we want to see, we want to believe, but we're not even sure. In Mark chapter 9, you see that dad who's got that sick child, and Jesus, he says, Jesus, if you can heal him, and Jesus says, if I can. And the dad says, listen, I do believe, help my unbelief. It's kind of living in that tension. That says, I believe that you have the power to do it, but he's not getting any better. You ever prayed any prayers like that for somebody that was sick? Like, I want to believe. I have faith to believe. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Faith is saying, hey, I have a conviction, a deep-rooted faith that God can accomplish his will and his purposes, even when the circumstances around me don't show that. Another one that he talks about here is healing. I mean, if we're praying for God to heal, then we want to see the supernatural healing work of God in the lives of in our life or in the life of somebody else around us, somebody that you know is sick, somebody that you know that needs kind of God to work in their physical, emotional, mental state to go, I need something that is broken to be made whole again, to be made right. We see that as healing. We see this work of God in their life. Miracles, right? This is a word that's thrown around in our culture. It's a word that gets a lot of credit even when it's not really miraculous. It might not even be a miracle. It might just be a really good shot. It might just be a win for your team. It might just be like a business acquisition. It's, it's kind of a long shot maybe, but it's not a miracle. Because what we believe about miracles is that it is to be enabled by God to perform mighty deeds that witnesses acknowledge to be supernatural in origin and means. It means it cannot be accomplished by physical means. Like no matter how hard we work, no matter what we try to do, it cannot be accomplished by human hands. So we're looking at something that is miraculous. We also see him say here about prophecy, the gift of, of prophecy. And what this is, is this is to speak forth the message of God to his people. This Greek word here is the foretelling of the will of God. It's this idea that we are to speak the will of God, the future will of God. Now, let me just pause right here for a second to say to you that not everything that is spoken, that is credited to God, is from God. 
Like, I'm not undermining everything that's ever been said because I believe that the gift of prophecy is true. I believe that there are people that work in this gift, and I believe that God speaks this way. 100% I believe that. I don't have any hesitation saying that. But I also want us to be careful that we don't believe that every person who says, thus saith the Lord, is actually speaking for God. Every person that walks up to you and says something like, this is what God's saying to me about you. Well, maybe they're not speaking for God. So I would encourage you just to do a couple things as you're trying to figure that out. Like, is this true? Like, I would make sure that what they're saying is from God actually lines up with what God is already saying to me. Like, I don't think God is trying to surprise you with something he tells someone else about you. I'll give you a great example. If somebody walked up to you after service today and says, hey, I believe God is saying to me that next week you're supposed to be up on the worship team leading us in worship. And when they say that, your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend or mom or brother or sister, whoever you came with, kind of nudges you because they don't even like to hear you sing in the shower. Because, like, you're terrible. Like, you couldn't carry a tune in a bucket if somebody else filled it in and all you had to do was carry it. Like, you couldn't. You don't know what you're doing musically. Like, that's probably not God's will for your life. And Pastor Sean's not in here right now, but I think he would amen me because he did it 915. So, like, you've got to make sure that what someone is saying to you about the will of God for your future is actually something that coincides with what God is already saying to you in the present. Because, again, I don't believe that God is trying to surprise you. You know what I think God's doing? I think God is trying to walk up beside you with somebody else who can help you believe what you might be having trouble believing about what God wants to do through you. Like, again, I think it might be a new word. I think it might be something new, but I don't think it's going to be out of left field. I think you're going to look at that and go, you know what? Okay, now it makes sense what God was saying to me before. Now it makes sense why I was in this season of preparation, getting ready, and I didn't have a place to do ministry, a place to do this, a place to exercise. This. Okay, this makes sense now. Maybe God just wants to encourage me a little Maybe God wanted to help me have some confidence to move forward in what he was already trying to get me to do. Now, I do believe 100% that people have prophetic gifts, and they can declare things about the future will of God. But this next gift that we're going to talk about here I think is important for all of us, and it's the gift of discernment. So in the passage that we read, in the translations that we read, it said the distinguishing of spirits. Maybe yours says the distinguishing of gifts. Maybe it says discernment, discerning of gifts, discerning of spirits, some variation of that depending on the translation that you're reading. And what we understand about discernment is to clearly distinguish truth from error by judging whether the behavior or teaching is from God, Satan, human error, or human power. Not everything that's said that's not of God is evil. Like it could be that if the person walks up to you after church and says, hey, you're supposed to sing in the worship team next week. They may have been standing in front of you and thought you were the great voice standing behind them. It wasn't you. It was somebody else, but they thought it was. That's not evil. That's just human error, right? And instead of them saying, like, I think God said to me, maybe they should have just said, have you ever considered, like, auditioning for the worship team? At which point you could have said truthfully, no, I've never considered that because I'm terrible, Right? Thank you, Trevor, for the laugh. Nobody else was with me there. That's okay. That's all right. We're going to get it together. You're going to get a nap next, next Sunday. It's going to kill. It's going to be hilarious, right? Because, like, it's not all evil. It just may not be of God. And so discernment here is so important 
Because what it allows us to do is to understand what is of God. So if you're trying to figure out what are some things that I'm hearing, seeing, people are wanting me to believe, and how do I determine if it's from God? Here's what I would say to you. Start with God's word. If anything that you see, hear, or are asked to believe does not line up with God's word, it contradicts something that's already been written, I don't believe it's from God. Because I don't believe that God's going to contradict himself. Like God is one entity. And I don't think that even if it's the Spirit of God speaking, that he's going to contradict what the Spirit of God imparted to men to write down so that you and I could read it. And so if God, through someone, is supposedly saying something to you, I think the first filter for discernment is, what does the Bible say about that subject? You know, a place where prophecy gets really murky is about the end times and what's to come and what's going to happen. And here, listen, hear what I'm saying, don't hear what I'm not saying. I believe that there are prophets. I believe there are people who can speak to that subject matter. But if people are saying very specifically what Scripture is still murky about, be careful there. Be careful. Right? Because God already had an opportunity to help us understand. And he chose to write it the way he wrote it. And if somebody comes along and says, this is absolutely what's going to happen, I'm not saying they're not right, but I'm saying I'd be careful. What does God's word say to us about that? And then beyond that, what is God saying to you personally about that? You know, does it, does it sit right with you? Does it feel right to you? If you're still not sure, go to some of the wisest people you know, those people with the gift of wisdom, those people with the gift of knowledge, who may can help you discern and understand what God's word does say about it already, and they can help you to know how to apply what God's word says, and then figure out where it lands. And if you're still not sure, I say this a lot, like in my personal life, if I'm still not sure, you know what I say then? God, I don't want to miss something that you're saying to me, so help me to just kind of be able to kind of internalize whatever truth there is. And help me to leave, leave aside the rest. Like, don't let, me get, don't let me get messed up by this. Now, here's what I believe. And this is, this is going to be me here. So I'm going to speak a little bit just from my personal experience and what I believe God has said to me and my family about words of God and specific things that God might be saying. I don't believe that God's going to contradict the Bible. And I also don't believe that words of God or something that's prophesied or something that's said is going to create confusion for me or fear in me. Like, I think if somebody is saying, I am proclaiming the words of God, and I am so confused after that, and I can't seem to find clarity about it in God's word, I don't think God would do that. Now, did he tell parables to the disciples? Yes. Did they not understand it? Yes. But was there meaning there? Yes. So do we, I just keep pursuing it? Yeah, maybe so. But if I just go, I, this doesn't sound like God, this doesn't seem like God, I'm not sure why God would say that. Like, just keep pursuing it, keep, but don't internalize it until you know what God's doing, what God's saying. Second thing is, I don't think God would create fear in me. And so, like, I want to be real careful here. I use a terrible example at 9.15. I want to be really careful here. I don't think God is going to give you some kind of word, prophecy, whatever, that makes you afraid. I don't, Scripture says, perfect love casts out all fear. His perfect love for you takes away fear that you may feel. So I don't think out of his perfect love for you, he's going to communicate something to you that makes you afraid. She's not here, so I'll talk about her. My wife struggles with fear a lot. And she's always wrestling with whether or not something she's feeling, something she's heard, something she's seen, something that someone said to her is supposed to be from God or if it's just something that was said or done. And every single time I'd say, does it make you more afraid? And if she says yes, I'll say, that's not from God then. 
I don't intentionally do things to scare my kids. And Scripture tells me that God is a more loving Heavenly Father toward me and toward you than I am towards my kids. So he's not going to say something to me and do something to me that makes me afraid to live the life that he's called me to live. Listen for the voice of God. Work it against God's word and figure out what he might be saying to you so that you know what you're supposed to do with it. Then these last two, tongues and interpretation of tongues. Tongues are to speak in a language not previously learned so unbelievers can hear God's message in their own language or the body can be edified. Now there's two types of tongues in the New Testament that are given as examples. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we see these people come out of the upper room and they come down into the street there in Jerusalem where there's a feast going on and all the nations of the world are represented in Jerusalem. And in that moment, under the power of God, those people come out of the upper room and they begin speaking in the languages of the people that are standing in front of them. So I'm going to use our examples of, of things that we would know. This is not scriptural. I'm just giving you an example so we're all understanding. It would be like if I came out of the upper room in that moment... I can't speak Spanish at all, but I begin fluently speaking about the good news of God in Spanish so that the Spanish people in front of me on the street that are in town for the feast can understand that God's a good God and he desires for them to repent, turn from their wicked ways, and, and be baptized. Okay? Other people came down. They don't know Chinese. They began speaking about the good news of God in Chinese. Other languages. So these people walk out, they, they're unlearned. They don't know how to speak this language, but through the power of God, they speak supernaturally the languages of the people that are standing in front of them. In other places, three examples specifically in the book of Acts, and we see these repeated throughout church history. We see what might be called a prayer language or an unknown language where people are speaking in tongues. They are speaking under the power of God in a tongue that is something that nobody in the room specifically would understand Except that after that moment, a lot of times we see this other gift exercise where there is an interpretation of the tongues. It's to bring clarity around the message in tongues that was just given. It is not a word-for-word translation. It's an interpretation. If 17 words were spoken in tongues, it's not going to be 17 words and equivalent in an interpretation. It's just to bring meaning to that under the power of the Holy Spirit. And there are even reasons which Paul writes about, about why sometimes an interpretation doesn't come. Often it was just for the individual. Sometimes it was for a specific purpose so that unbelievers would see the power of God demonstrated in that moment. But so many times, according to the writings of Paul specifically in other places, we read that tongues happen and then they are followed by an interpretation so people can understand what God would be saying to them. Now, later in 1 Corinthians 12, we spent a lot of time right there. Later in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 28, it says this. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Now, we've seen a couple of these gifts already referenced. We saw prophesying. We saw healing. Um, we saw some of the different kinds of tongues. So there's four more that are listed here that weren't listed previously. Apostle. This is to provide leadership over church bodies and maintain authority over spiritual matters pertaining to the church. We see teaching, which is to instruct others and communicate pertinent information for true understanding and growth. We see helps, which I have joked about so many times because I never knew it was a spiritual gift. I just thought it was like an add-on. Like, oh, you got the gift of helps. That means you didn't get the good ones, right? So, no, it's listed right here alongside all the other ones. It's like the gift of helps is to render support or assistance to others in the body. It's like a good thing to have. You need people that have the gift of helps. Like, it's not something to be shunned or to put ointment on, right? Okay, so the gift of administration is to steer the body toward the accomplishment of God-given goals and directives by planning, organizing, and supervising others. 
In Romans chapter 12, if you've got a Bible, again, you can flip there with me. I'm going to read these off the screen in a second. But in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, we see even more of these gifts uh, expanded upon here in the writing. <clears throat> it says this in 4 through 8. Just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Again, several of these have already been mentioned. But let's look right here at four that are new to us from this passage. Serving, to identify undone tasks in God's work, however menial, and use the available resources to get the job done. We see giving is to share what material resources you have with liberality and cheerfulness without thought of return. We see leadership to give direction and to motivate others to get involved in the accomplishment of goals. And we see mercy to be sensitive toward those who are suffering, whether that be physically, mentally, emotionally, in any way that they're suffering, so as to feel genuine sympathy for them in their misery and to speak words of compassion and try to figure out how can we alleviate their distress. Again, these are not exhaustive lists. These are just a few of the examples of the way that God empowers us so that he can work through us for the sake of others. So what do we do with this? Like, what are we supposed to do with this list of gifts and now these definitions that we have here? How are we supposed to respond to that? Like, what does it mean to have the Holy Spirit working through us? What's the purpose of the spiritual gift? Is it like an outward sign of spiritual maturity? Like in the church I was growing up in, the people that exercised those gifts of the Spirit were like all the older saints. So what was I supposed to do until I got older? Just hang out and watch them do that and just kind of be in the room when they were exercising Spirit? Like what, what was I supposed to do? Like what does the Holy Spirit want to do through me if I'm not sure what he's doing in me? I ran across a couple of quotes here. James Stitzinger states that the primary goal of all the gifts is building up the body of Christ. That's not a novel idea because Paul said that himself in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 when he said that the gifts are for the common good. The, the work of the Holy Spirit is not for you personally only. The work of the Holy Spirit is for you for the sake of the other people in the room, the other people in your life, the other people in your world. Siegfried Schatzman says this, God's, gracious, uh, God's graciously given spirit-apportioned gifts were clearly not meant for the self aggrandizement of the endowed or as an elitist pursuit of a higher spiritual or social status. Like, if you think that spiritual gifts makes you like a somebody in Christianity, you're wrong. That's not what this is about. Paul says, no, no, listen, here's the deal. Like, we're a body made up of many parts that all perform a different function, and every single function in the body, every single part of the body is important. And if you can't see the value in that, you're missing out. Every part of your body, whether it be outward or inward, every single function that your body performs, even the ones that you can't see, are important to the function of the overall body. And that's the same with spiritual gifts. Like if you read in 1 Corinthians 12 and in 1 Corinthians 14, you might think, well, I don't know why he jumps from spiritual gifts to the body and then to love and then back to the body and back to what we do in corporate worship and when we're supposed to be silent. It all works together when we understand that in the local gatherings, the corporate gatherings of the church, that the gifts are to be exercised for the sake of everybody in the room. Ben Armit was a church planner in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and he wrote this in his book, Church in the Making. 
The body of Christ is complete in its manifestation only through the local church. God has endowed believers in such a way that when they come together, all of our parts become knit together in a beautiful, albeit fallen, assembly of gifts. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. The gifts that you have and the gifts that I have, we, we don't utilize them perfectly all the time. I know that. I, I can just speak for me. I know that. But when we gather together, when we work together, when we allow God to work through us under the power of the Holy Spirit, and we join your gifts with my gifts and the gifts of somebody else in the room, and while we're sitting in here with the gifts of those who are outside and the gifts of those who are in a classroom teaching kids, and the gifts of the guys that are standing out in the parking lot, and we, we see that, and the gifts of the people that even aren't here today, but they'll be a part of our outreach in a few weeks leading up to Easter to give out just free coffee in neighborhoods and welcome people and invite people. Like when we put all those things together, we are the church. We are the body that God has knit together to fulfill his kingdom purposes. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 10 and 11 say this. God has given each of you a gift from his variety, his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all your strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything that you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. I think when we start talking about spiritual gifts, often we get it confused with our understanding of gifts here now. Like love languages, like if you, if you know that scale, like gifts is pretty high. It's not the highest for me, but it's pretty high. My brother's like it's really, it's, it's the highest gift. It's the highest love language he's got. Like we've got to give him gifts or he doesn't love us in return. That was funny. Come on, hang with me here. It's not that high for me, but man, it's up there. I love receiving gifts. But here's the problem. When you give me a gift, I assume it's for me. Like, unless you tell me differently, like, hey, share this, like, this is, this is for your whole family, or this is, you know, this is for you to give to somebody else, like, you know, take some people out to dinner, like, I assume the $50 gift card to Outback was just for me to go by myself and eat by myself, like, it's just, for, that's a gift, you gave it to me, and like, I just go exercise that gift myself, and I think when we take that understanding and we put it into this context of reading God's word and we understand spiritual gifts, it's like, okay, then, then God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gives me a gift, and it's for me. It's for me to feel better about myself. It's for me to know that God's working in my life. It's for me to know that God wants to do something in me. But what if the gifts of the Spirit aren't so God can do something in you? It's so that God can do something through you. So that he can do something in somebody else. Would we be okay with it then? Like, would we, would we be okay... If God handed you a $50 Outback gift card so you could hand it to somebody else. There's blessing in that. There's enjoyment in that. But I don't know if we realize it. Because we don't get to be the only one that relishes and appreciates and exercises and stands in the gift. Like, I think sometimes we're, we're so confused about these spiritual gifts because we're so concerned about what God wants to do in us. But God loves all of us equally. And so God is just as concerned what's happening in somebody else as he's concerned with what's happening in you. 
And it may be that God wants to do something through you so he can do something in them. Instead of being so concerned and saying, God, do something in me, do something in me, do something in me, do something in me. And standing over in the side of the lobby and just, God, do something in me, do something in me. And watching someone walk over to the coffee bar and get a cup of coffee and their diaper bag's falling off their arm and their two-year-old's like running through their legs and going somewhere else. And, you know, they're about to spill their coffee walking in and you go, well, you know, God, do something in me, do something in me, do something in me. What if God's saying the most God-honoring thing he can do in you is for you to walk over and serve them? And help them. Like who on your job does everybody else shun? And you need to exercise the gift of mercy toward. Who in your life needs a miracle? Like something that can't be accomplished by human hands. And you can stand in the gap for them. And pray to a God that you believe in with full faith. Which means that the circumstances may not bear it out. Asking God to do a miracle which means that you can't do it on your own and heal them physically even when doctors have given them no hope. Can you stand in full faith and full confidence and look them in the eye and say, I'm asking God to work through me through the power of the Holy Spirit and stand in the gap for you and pray with faith for a miraculous healing. Like, who do you just need to help? Like, that's a gift. Who do you just need to help? Through the power of God. You say, well, you know, every time I read the Bible, like I just, I never understood why, but like I always seem to get something out of it. Like I don't, I just, when I read it, like it just makes sense. Like everybody else in the room hates you if you say that. You guys, I just, I just, I mean, I just, yeah. What if that's the gift of knowledge? Like people just come to you for advice all the time. What if that's the gift of wisdom? What if you need to exercise that gift? What if you need to seek out more truth so that you can be available for God just to speak through you when someone comes to you and they're seeking wisdom about the things in their life? What if you said, God, I know, man, this, it's a scary world right now. There's so many things that are going on. There's so much uncertainty. God, would you use me to speak prophetically to bring not fear but peace into the people of my life? Like, God, do something supernatural. God, I'm asking you to do something supernatural through me. I, I want to I speak in tongues. I, I, want to, I want unbelievers to know the power of God because they see you demonstrating manifestations, manifestations through my life. When I hear a message in tongues, I, I want to give the interpretation. God, help me to exercise that gift. Give me the full power, the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that I can exercise that gift. God, work through God wants to do something in you. If you weren't here three weeks ago, go listen to the podcast. God wants to do something in you, but what if he is as concerned with doing something through you so he can do something in someone else? Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for the chance to follow you, pursue you, Thank you for your word that brings clarity so many times to our lives. And God, I ask you today to help all of us to open our eyes, to open our hearts, to open our minds to what it is that you might be doing. Help us to be less concerned with the work in us, or at least equally concerned, as we are with the work that you want to do through us. Help us not to view gifts as something that only we get to enjoy 
God, help us to understand that you desire to utilize us out of your grace to do something for the common good. So God, I pray now over the people in this room that you would give us the full demonstration of your power and your might. That in our lives, we would be spirit-filled, spirit-led believers that others see you at work in and through. God, help us to serve like never before. To lead like never before. To help like never before. To show mercy like never before. God, let us see supernatural things because we believe you're a supernatural God. In Jesus' name I pray.